we can no longer afford to look backward for repurposing old plans. Now we can learn from history and I, I will frequently speak of historical events to inform the future, but that isn't going to be the way we solve the problems. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Wine Milbank Podcast Network in Milbank, South Dakota. I'm Craig Weinberg. Um, and on the, on the phone today, I guess the phone, we can call it that, can't we? Kind of. Close enough. In a weird way. Uh, all, all the way from the west end of the state. Um, Skylar Borglum is with us via the Zoom. Um, thanks for coming on. This is awesome. Thank you for having me, Craig. Absolutely. This, this is fantastic. Um, you uh, <laughs> just right before we started this, I was talking. Um, a friend of mine asked me if you were part of the the uh, the Mount Rushmore Borglums. Um, what is is there a connection? What is that? I do get that question, and both families are from Borglum, Denmark. And I am living in Rapid City. I did not grow up here. I, I actually grew up in Great Falls, Montana. And my last name is Borglum, and I'm a geological engineer. So I do blow up rocks for a living, or, or at least I used to. <laughs> nice. and, yet, and yet, I am not a direct descendant of the artist or sculptor, <sighs> Gutsy Borglum. Dread. So All right, this relatives back there somewhere, because Borglum, Denmark, is not a large place. Mm. And suspect we're related but i am not a direct descendant and sadly i received no royalties so that oh dread (laughs) all right uh before as we get started here uh, i'm reading on your website so you are actually uh running as a primary challenger to senator mike rounds correct um so your website borglum for senate.rocks that's an interesting uh domain domain name there's Um, a good reason for it oh do tell because you blow things up well, <laughs> because I am an engineer, I, I've been in the petroleum industry and I've worked in geological testing labs to do to do property testing on rocks, which has the the effect of, of destroying rocks, blowing them up. I don't use ordnance, unfortunately. That would that would be very exciting, oh, but I don't, I don't use that. But even before I had considered running, somebody went through and bought up all of the Borglum Senate domains and really yes yes and i don't i don't know who it was i don't know what the purpose was but they were all gone and so the the gal i was working with in the very beginning had the creative idea to make a customized domain so we chose dot rocks because we wanted people to know a little bit about my history who i am and the fact that look this is fun politics does not need to be stagnant it doesn't need to be um, status quo. It can be something that's different and exciting, and and get people charged up about it, which is which is how it should be. It's it's running our country. This stuff matters. <laughs> so you um, appear to be no slouch when it comes to education. <laughs> so no. as, as we look down here, you graduated ninety five from the boring high school. Correct. Um, then from there, it's the 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 sky apparently. Pacific Lutheran University yeah. with a bachelor's business admin. You're yep. a Fulbright scholar. Yes. <laughs> um, your brother ended up passing away in a traffic accident. He did. He was he was killed driving home from work. Yeah. And so then that thought, you know what? More education. Duke <laughs> a master's degree in theological studies from Duke Divinity School. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then you were a drug pusher for a while. That's interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, pharmaceutical sales, let's say. Um, it was all legal, but it was of course, right. yes. <laughs> very regulated. Um, yes. And then um, how much later did you decide, you know, I think petroleum engineering is a good idea. So that happened when after I'd been in sales for seven years mm-hmm. and I thought this is this is a great career. Being a pharmaceutical sales professional is truly a great career. But I also knew that I'd been promoted about as far as I was going to go without going on into sales management. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't have any interest in that in that aspect. So the decision came, well, do you just coast now for the rest the, the rest of your career or do you do you go do something different? And and I had always wanted to be in the oil and gas industry. 
So that, that came about as a result of my Fulbright scholarship when I lived in Norway. I had the opportunity to interview and, and be in conversation with oil and gas companies that were, that were Norwegian who just did a fantastic job. And this was something I always wanted to get into, sustainable development in oil and gas. So I thought, well, it's now or never. And initially, I actually applied to law school thinking, I like to speak, I like to write, this would be a natural fit. Well, I applied to top law schools three times. My, my LSAT scores were fine, but they weren't stellar. And so on the last try, I thought, this is it. I have a really stupid idea. I'm going to take calculus one and geology and then I'll fail and that will prove to me that I'm not meant to be a petroleum engineer and then I'll go back and try to get into law school again. Well, I ended up getting an A in one and a B in no, the other man. and I thought, well, that plan didn't work. So <laughs> so I, I grabbed my little dog. I had a scrappy gutter dog and packed up everything, took my Took my last $6,000, bought a used F-150, and my dad and I drove to Montana. At the time, I had been living in Austin, hmm. flew to Minnesota, bought the pickup in South Dakota, drove to Montana in a blizzard, and I started my next career as a petroleum engineer. And I hadn't done high-level math in over 15 years before I took that calculus one class. So it was it was a shock to the mm -hmm. system to be in the rigors of, of an advanced degree in engineering. Yeah. But it also, because I was there and I was certainly paying for it myself and had taken a huge risk in going for it, that's a, when you burn the ships like that, <laughs> there's no going right. back. Right. <laughs> um, so then from there you went, to, uh, what is that? South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. And so, so do we call you Dr. Borglum? Is that, is that appropriate? You can. You can. <laughs> that is appropriate. I am, I am a so doctor. So a doctoral yeah. degree in geology and geological engineering. That is fascinating. Well, and there was a little bit of a, there was a little bit of a, a detour in there as well. So, so I moved to Dickinson, North Dakota after I finished my master's in petroleum engineering and was working full-time in the Bakken when it was just hopping and jumping mm -hmm. and it was an absolute it was just a blast. Well, when Marathon hired me, they knew I wanted to pursue my doctorate in geological engineering. And the reason I won't, I promise I won't get too far into the weeds <laughs> with this, but, but petroleum deals a lot with, petroleum engineering deals a lot with fluid mechanics. And what I was interested in were the, the rock mechanics and the rock fluid interaction. So that's what I wanted to study. Well, I, I attended school full-time and I worked full-time. So I was driving back and forth between Dickinson and Rapid City every other week, sitting on my phone when I was out on location, listening to classes, and of course, taking phone calls and, and working when I was in Rapid City on petroleum engineering. So it was, it was double duty what I was doing. I was working full-time and in school full-time. Mm -hmm. Well, then I lost my job when the oil boom busted. So I thought, well, I'll just move to Rapid City and I'll crush out my doctorate and then see where the next adventure takes me. Well, a couple of things happened then. Number one, I of course fell in love with Rapid City and the Black Hills and it felt very much like home. And I also fell in love with my husband, now husband. So during that time I thought, okay, I will become a consulting engineer. That's how a lot of engineers do it. But you need your PE, your professional engineering license mm. to be a consulting engineer. In South Dakota, you need a bachelor's of engineering. And of all the degrees that I had, <laughs> not that one. That was not one of them. So wow. I called up Montana Tech and I asked, how far off of a bachelor's degree am I in petroleum engineering? And they said, you know, we, we talked through some of the courses and I took a couple that I transferred in, received professional credit for a couple others, and then I was down to one semester. So for one semester, I commuted back and forth between wow. Rapid City, South Dakota and Butte, Montana. And I studied two different disciplines in two different degree programs in two different states. And I finished my bachelor's of engineering and petroleum engineering while I was conducting my research and teaching at South Dakota School of Mines as a TA for geological engineering. And so that's how I ended up with my second, wow. that's how I earned my, my second bachelor's degree. <laughs> So I graduated with that in May of 2017, and that's also why it shows up after the master's degree, oh, okay. not, 
It's not a typo. <laughs> and then the next year, 2018, was when I finished my PhD. And the opportunity to run for office also presented itself. And that was something I'd wanted to do for a very long time. And when, um, and someone told me this, when the opportunity presents itself, it will never be convenient. Mm -hmm. It will never be timely, but you just have to go for it. And, and so I did, I was finishing up my dissertation and started knocking on doors, gathering signatures, ordering signs, um, sending out mailers, fundraising, doing all those things. So I ended up running my primary at the same time that I, I was defending and finishing my doctorate. And then right after I graduated, my, my man proposed to me and um, <laughs> this is my, my first and only marriage and it's at 41. So I was like four months, four month engagement. That's all we need. We can crush it. <laughs> and so we, we did that and, um, and we married and then I had the general election and then started my first term as state representative for district 32 in 18. In Jan yep. Well, I was elected in 18 and started January of 19. Okay. I was appointed. I should point out too, Governor Dugard appointed me for special session in 2018. Mm. Representative Sean McPherson, who is a representative for this district, had passed away from cancer. So I had the the distinct honor and privilege of filling his seat for for District 32 in the special session in 2018. Wow. All right. So since you have a decent amount of uh, insight into the oil and gas industry, yes, give us your take on the Keystone Pipeline. I'm as long as it's done <clears throat> properly and in accordance with state laws and federal laws, I don't have any problem with it. We right now we have a glut of oil, so so there's certainly <laughs> no. <laughs> not even where to store the oil. Right. We're looking for ways to Just store. Leave oil. it we in the ground at this point. Um. Oh. Okay. So. As long so I guess the next question I have is are the state laws that we have in place are they appropriate? I believe regarding so. that. Yes. Yep. And and we've <clears throat> seen listen, we've we've seen the the devastation that violent rioting and protesting did up in North Dakota. I am I am first in line to celebrate our first amendment rights and free speech. I have no issue with that at all. And if it looked to me like there was a problem or a chilling effect on free speech, I would I would not support something like this. But the problem is they North Dakota is still trying to recover from the millions of dollars in damages that were done, not by not by the native community and not by uh, North Dakotans and people with a genuine interest in what they were doing, but by professional rioters who came in. And, and I have a real issue with that because it ruins it for everybody. Mm -hmm. it and it takes away from the message that, that Native Americans were trying to convey. It takes away from, from what real protesters are trying to accomplish and, and turns it into a, just a slugfest and then nobody wins. So, so I think what we're doing is in South Dakota is correct. Is it appropriate for um, the governor to try to Im uh, implement some laws against protesting? I don't think she's trying to, and I, I will caution that I'm, I am in no way qualified to speak for the governor. She, I think she's doing a fine job in South Dakota and, and certainly can, can speak for her own decisions. What I will say is that we have, we've passed a couple of laws that I believe are appropriate. We have counties who do not have hardly, they don't have hardly any, any law enforcement and certainly not the resources to bring in a million dollars worth of um, supplemental law enforcement should something happen. Mm -hmm. And the law that, that I believe is particularly useful in that area is the, essentially it's a trust fund where the companies who are building pipelines put a certain amount of money in and it sits there during a time where the pipeline's being built and then for a period of time afterward. And then if it isn't used for, for um, law enforcement or um, protection or reimbursing counties, then um, then it'll go back to the oil companies or pipeline companies. And I think that's appropriate. So uh, your platform, and we'll yes. dig into this a little bit now. Um, you it, you say you have three core elements. The first one is um, the federal budget and debt. Mm -hmm. Does that matter anymore? That's, <laughs> I mean, no, that's, no, it's a fair <laughs> question. And and I have not had time to update the the top portion of my website where I where I also have... So my adapted plan because mm -hmm. of recent circumstances. So in general, 
we need to maintain a balanced budget and we need to watch our we need to watch our money i don't think it's good for america to have 30% of our foreign debt owned by two countries china and japan that's that's dangerous particularly now when we're seeing what's going on in in other segments of our economy with with china and we can get to that in a minute so in general, yes, we need to live within our means. And leading up to coronavirus, the reason I felt so strongly about that is because we had a ship-shape economy. We were charging forward, all the numbers were great, everything was looking good, and we still could not get our Senate and Congress to live within our means. And that that defied that def that defied understanding as far as I'm concerned. Now, when you have something like the coronavirus that comes in and threatens the livelihoods of small businesses and families, this is why, this is why one of the reasons why we do have a federal government is to be able to take the brunt of that abuse and, and create space for small businesses and families to continue existing until we can all get back on our feet again. So one of the plans I've been advocating for is mortgage payment deferral, not forgiveness. Okay? Why not? Why, why not forgiveness? Because we, we took out the debt in good faith and there's no reason to be excused from it. So deferral means tack those payments on to the end of the 30-year the mortgage, make it a 31-year mortgage. And I'm good with that. Find a way to, to work with the banks in terms of interest payments. Um, but but these, these families who need cash, need liquid cash right now, mm -hmm. this would take a tremendous load off if they knew they had a 12-month deferral, much like a, a deferral or a forbearance on your student loan payments. So, so I am, I'm somebody who believes if you signed on the line and you agreed to take out the money, whether it's for a, a mortgage or a business loan or your student loans, you did that in good faith. And, and yes, we, we have hardships sometimes. Certainly I have, when I lost my job, I very much understand the stress of going through something like that, but I'm still on the hook for the decisions I made leading up to an unforeseen uh, crisis. So uh, true, and uh, I I think the the one thing that might slightly be different in my view is um, the the response to the pandemic is the direct cause of the inability for these businesses to have funds and, oh, and for these people to have money. So I don't disagree with you. And 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 I, and I don't believe necessarily. I, I okay. I'll throw this out. It was a question. Is is the pandemic the cause or is it the the response that has caused this? Let's, let's and are those two different? Back. I kind of think they're different. Are they different? Let's take it. Let's take a further step back. Mm -hmm. So on one of my prior Facebook live videos, I walked through uh, and this is a single variable analysis. OK, and it is not peer reviewed, which means it hasn't <laughs> been studied and vetted. Yeah by by the the multitudes and there's good reason for peer review okay so this was a first pass attempt but it was done by somebody who who understands math and statistics and so it's it's worth worth talking about and what he did is run a first uh first order first pass single variable correlation to see where the time of shutting down a state related to preventing if it did any deaths in the state and so he looked at minus 10 days, meaning people and governors who shut down their states 10 days prior to any death occurring in their state, all the way up to plus 35, which would be where South Dakota and a half a dozen other states are because we never actually, or Governor Nome never actually mm -hmm. ordered a shelter in place. Okay. It turns out there's about a five and a half percent correlation, which in the engineering world is nothing. That's, that's noise in the data. That's a rounding error. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yes. So where there is a correlation, and I and I sincerely, um, and I've been speaking about this from day one, so I, I really suspect this is going to be something we see in the future when it comes to diseases and pandemics, it's going to come down to population density. And when they look at New York City, there's a 44% correlation. So now that's something worth gathering our mm -hmm. attention over. So I'm not going to say broad strokes, oh, we shouldn't have sheltered in place anything, or we should have sheltered in place everywhere, because that simply isn't appropriate for a country our size or with our variability. My husband was, was sort of joking this morning when he was saying, 
sheltering in your the the social distancing the six feet that's actually bringing south dakotans together we have so few few south dakotans in this state that you have to really work hard to get all of them within six feet of each other so so let me put it to you another way because i think this visual is is meaningful across the state of south dakota we have 11 people per square mile if you just run a straight average Mm -hmm. okay in Rapid City, then, a population center, we have 1,200 people per square mile, okay? New York City, 26,000 people per square mile. Ooh. So in back of, the, back of the envelope calculations, that means you take that same square mile of Rapid City and you stack it up 20 times on top of each other, then you have the That's same density. <laughs> right. Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. And that's why putting into place here in South Dakota, even for our our highly populated areas like Sioux Falls and Rapid City, it isn't appropriate to do what they're doing in New York City because we simply don't have the same level of population density. Do you think the response from the federal government has been appropriate? I think the federal government had the very difficult challenge of trying to make trying to make recommendations on to a country that's as variable as ours is mm-hmm. so let's compare to New Zealand for example Prime Minister um, Jacinda and I, I can't ever seem to pronounce her last name correctly Arend, um, forgive me if I didn't quite get that correct <laughs> but Here's, here's someone who has a smaller country, right? Homogenous, popu- relatively homogenous population and, and is also a, uh, is a confirmed socialist, for example. She was elected president of the International Youth Socialist Party, if I'm not mistaken. So her, her response was very much a, a paternal government, shut everything down, everybody's in their homes, no going out, no going to the beaches, just total, Mm -hmm. total shutdown. Well, those, the circumstances, first of all, allowing for her to do that are unique to New Zealand. That, that would never fly in America. Americans by nature are intractable and ornery. And many of us don't like being told that the government is our parent because what does that do? It means that we're all children, right? Now, when our go- some are, but not all of us. Now, when our governor, when our governor recommended and made the very strong recommendations that we take the responsibility, we stay in our homes, keep our vulnerable population safe, and and do what we're supposed to do. It actually worked in South Dakota. Where didn't it work? Where we had a foreign-owned company, Smithfield, where the culture was different and the requirements were different. So, um, so I think that, that at the federal level, yes, they did as much as they were going to really realistically get away with doing. And I don't think they, they should have done any more because at the end of the day, we know at a state level what's appropriate for the states. And that's what I believe in, our state's rights. And that's, um, and that's on us. So yeah, I think you did a good so, job. So should the state then be on the hook for the financial damage caused to their um, businesses and their economies? Well, I guess it depends on who set this off, right? So new information is coming out that this was this coronavirus came out of a research lab in Wuhan. So this was not a naturally, it's not, let me back up. It's not necessarily a naturally occurring virus there's question about that and um and if it turns out that this was a manufactured virus that that escaped the lab whether intentionally or accidentally i don't think the states or the united states should be on the hook for that i think the country that let it loose should be on the hook well there's no enforcement there is there i mean if we're honest about that outside of war i mean what's the step there (laughs) (laughs) if we go attack them well, um, they own a lot of debt. I certainly think that, that President Trump is up to the task. And if he wants to enforce a renegotiation and if countries stand together, locked arm in arm and say, you let this loose, you were responsible for what happened to this global shutdown. You need to you need to find a, a way to make amends. I would support that. Are you surprised uh, at the rapid, uh, almost instantaneous 
laying down of the American citizen begging for the government to tell them what to do and keep them safe. And I say it like that because if you watch any social media, most of the news, um, the main word is government needs to step in and tell us what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. Is, is that, it, it, does that surprise you that the American citizen has so willingly run right off that direction? It did. Yes, it did. Because I, I frankly was, was stunned that people not only, not only were asking for that, it's, almost, <laughs> right. it's, it's like, have you not read your history books? Do you not understand where this, where this will lead in very short order if, if we don't just do the right thing as part of our own social responsibility? And so not only was I stunned at the, the very quick way that Americans were ready to just um, give up their individual rights. And, and when I say rights, I don't mean their right to go out and get other people sick. I just mean your right to say, you know what, I'm smart enough. I know what six feet looks like. I'm not going to go to parties. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take my family of eight to the grocery store and have little kids running around touching everything. Just for heaven's sakes, just do the right thing. Why, why do we need the government to come in and drop a moral hammer on us? So there's that. And then I was also really surprised at the moral shaming that's going on on social media. Some would um, call that bullying, wouldn't they? <laughs> I mean, in schools, that's inappropriate. But well, apparently that, on social media, it's not. You know, that's actually a good point. I hadn't thought of that. I um, back in the middle of March before we had before we had any incidents in Pennington County, because mm -hmm. the fellow who passed away was in Mitchell and actually had Mitchell um South Dakota, Davidson County, he hadn't even been in Pennington. So, so there were no, there were no, um, confirmed there were no cases. cases. There were no cases. Thank you. In Pennington County. So I had to collect signatures to get on the ballot. And so I went around and knocked on doors, right? It was the middle of March toward the end of March thinking that people were smart enough, if they were concerned, they didn't need to answer the door, right? There's no law that says you have to answer the door if somebody knocks on it. <laughs> so I went around and if people were comfortable, they would answer the door, sign my sheet. And if they weren't, they just didn't answer. It wasn't a big deal. And um, and I apparently there were a couple of, of hysterical people on Facebook talking of talking is probably an understatement <laughs> about me going and knocking on doors and asking for signatures. Well, first of all, I had already called both the secretary of state's office and the governor's office and the decision was made. They weren't moving the primary date and they were not hmm. changing the number of signatures required. Mm -hmm. Well, I've spent 10 months working toward this end of, of winning this election. I'm not going to just sit down two weeks to go and say, Oh, well, I guess, I guess it's too hard. I won't. So, um, so yes, I went out and I knocked on doors and the people who felt comfortable answered and those who didn't, didn't, right? But for, for, my, for the purpose of this conversation, I was really stunned that a couple of these, these hysterical types were, were blasting off all over Facebook because I thought, what, what do you care? Right. Just don't answer your door. It's, <laughs> it's not worth getting your knickers in a bunch. So, Well, it must be. People are bored. I guess so. <laughs> um, uh, do you foresee, you know, thinking, looking at Michigan, um, uh, California has extended their stay at home. Heck, they're shutting down, I think, the uh, some of their beaches. Um, Washington State is extending their stay at home. Minnesota extended their uh, stay at home order. Are, should we anticipate a, a revolt at some point? I mean, are, are we looking at a, a revolution at some level if this continues? Well, a revolution takes effort. And I'm not, <laughs> well, someone's doing something. I'm Just, not sure if people are up for the effort. That's actually a good, good, good point. <laughs> Just having just having looked and and, and observed mm -hmm. on Facebook, you know, it's one thing for people to fire off and and post trolling comments on yeah. Facebook. It's another thing to take to the streets. That's right? true. But, That's but, a lot but at some point, won't I mean, it, if it continues on, and you know, I, I'm a small business owner, so I understand <clears throat> the direct challenge that we're in. Um, the the decisions made by governors around the country have directly mm -hmm. affected our business. 
and and because some of the the products we get um, come from other states. Well, those governors decided those states, uh, those businesses couldn't operate. So that affected me directly. I'm not in those yeah. states, but that affected me because I get I, I order from that company. Um, <clears throat> the thing that I don't quite understand, and this moves a little bit into a different topic, is the answer from the powers that be, local government, and I'm thinking like state government and federal, is we made decisions that directly removed revenue from the small business world, and even the big business, but the small business world specifically, Main Street. Um, we did, we made things happen that took business from you, and our answer to help you is to give you a loan. Yeah, is, see, is, that's, is that yeah, backward? Yeah. Because re- lost revenue, in my opinion, does n- cannot be replaced by a loan. Correct, and and that's an issue that I've had. I from the very beginning, I got up and spoke at our city council meeting. Oh gosh, it's probably been a little over a month now, and I wasn't. And please, please understand, I'm not asking for a full on um, uh, letting loose of all recommendations, right? We need to still practice good social hygiene, Mm -hmm. but shutting down our businesses entirely or putting in such onerous restrictions that we snuff out businesses is also not appropriate. There's, There's good middle ground where we can have our cake and eat it too. And I think Sweden has been an excellent example of that. I was surprised to see that they had not, they had not closed down their elementary schools or their middle schools. And in fact, the only population that they really made a concerted effort to partition out were the, were the older population in care centers. Hmm. So I think that to your point, um, when I stood up and spoke at, at our city council meeting, one of my comments was a lot of these businesses are, are month to month as it is. Yeah. And us asking them to take on additional debt in the form of a loan is not appropriate. So, so would would they be eligible for grants? Well, they should be. But that's like saying, well, you can't afford to live, and so we're just going to give you a credit card to live off of. Well, <laughs> right. I know it's a really weird line to be on. Yes, yes. So that's why I uh, I'm not in favor. I mean, if it if it's an interest free loan and we can convert it to a grant, that's fine. There are a lot of different options out there, but, but asking small businesses who probably don't have a very wide margin to begin with, to mm-hmm. take on additional debt payments. I don't think that's well, I, I, every financial advisor I know argues against that. You never want more debt unless it's specific to grow your business. That's one Correct. thing, but, but Correct. to, to fill a gap that was created by someone outside of your control and by oh, somebody, awesome. It, yes. it it it's really almost insulting to the small yeah. business person that says, you know what? Here we're government. We're going to fix it for you, and our fix is a loan. Yay! You know, you, you get more debt. No, because if you if you take on debt for no asset, you're just becoming an indentured servitude. Correct. Right. If you're, if you're taking on debt to buy a new building or piece of equipment that will advance your yeah. business, grow your business. That's an investment. That's- that's an investment, but but taking on, as you say, taking on loans to cover lost income, there's no asset there, yeah. and so really all you're doing is is indentured servitude. Yeah. So that uh, that that frustrates me, and I actually have reached out several times to the governor to come on here and, and talk about this stuff, but uh, so far nothing. We're still working though. Um, well, and, and in fairness, <laughs> well she's I know busy. I get it. Had a lot on her plate. <laughs> I understand. But but okay, maybe I just haven't heard any other news organization ask these questions. I don't think maybe I that's have. it. I think you're I think you're on the cutting edge here. Fantastic. Let's see. This is what we do here. <laughs> um, all right. Let's uh, let's move a little bit more local. Do you? Uh, why should people choose you at the in, at this time? Um, since you're both Republican, I mean, you're you're going against Senator Rounds, and he is a Republican. You're both Republicans. Um, why you? I mean, what? Yeah. This, this is the the challenge of of working in a state, and South Dakota is not unique in this. We have a single party state, effectively. Oregon has a single party state, <laughs> and and so this isn't unique to South Dakota, and it isn't unique to Republicans. So so I'll start there. If we do want change, that means, though, that we have to take this back to the primary because the general just really isn't going to have that much of an impact. 
So there's there's the starting point. I'm a lifelong Republican. I've I've always voted and been registered as a Republican. And even when I ran in um, it for office when I was in high school, we did it on the party system. And even there, I ran as a Republican. So this is a I've been a Republican since before I could vote. The reason I believe South Dakotans should vote for me is because the time the time has changed and we need new leadership. We can no longer afford to look backward for repurposing old plans. Now we can learn from history and I, I will frequently speak of historical events to inform the future, but that isn't going to be the way we solve the problems. What do I mean by this? My opponent, Mike Rounds, has brought forward two plans that have already been tried and have totally failed. The first one is his US Beef Integrity Act. It's almost verbatim the voluntary cool plan that was in place in, about a decade ago and had no positive effect for our cattle ranchers. What I've been pushing for is mandatory country of origin labeling. His is voluntary and again, a retread. Mine is mandatory country of origin labeling that requires all beef to be labeled that it was born, bred, and slaughtered in the United States. So that's the first one. The next one that is mind blowing to me is his repurposing of the EB-5 now visa program. Now I was going to let it go because it was a decade ago when he was a governor. I figured, well, okay, um, I see stunning corruption there and I know a lot of other South Dakotans do, but he also made it through an election. So, okay. It is what it is, but this past uh, this past winter he brought it back again, and this is I can't say this strongly enough. This is going to devastate our food security. This is absolutely going to blow it up. How? What do I mean by this? Well, the visa program he's actually increased the amount of money it costs to buy a visa. Do I agree with selling American citizenships? No, I don't. I do not think that that is appropriate. So that's the first problem. The next problem is, what's the country on earth that has a looming food shortage? It's right in front of their noses. It's China, right? They have a fraction of the arable land that we have for farming. And of that, 40% isn't usable, meaning it's either polluted or as a result of acidification or soil infertility. So they have a billion people and they have a looming food shortage. The next problem is with this visa program, and you understand that when it's a communist government, there are no other options. And the communist <laughs> government is in business everywhere. So you have wealthy Chinese, I'll put wealthy Chinese coming in, buying visas to become American citizens, starting up businesses that are going to be China Chinese run and owned. Well, who owns the food? Who owns the land? It'll be China. So now we have our food security through this EB-5 program that is designed specifically for rural areas to come in, to allow countries to come in and buy up what we have. In what universe is this a good idea? None. Does it all come down to dollars? Is, is it all about money? Always comes down. It always, always comes back to money. Follow the money. So what, what would happen if this, this ended? EB-5, er, done, gone. What would that do to the South Dakota farmer? Nothing. It would be better for us because what it what it would mean is we don't have foreign entities, foreign governments, foreign interests coming in, whether whether directly or surreptitiously into our state and buying up our ag land and buying up our, our food. So I I believe firmly that the EB-5 program just needs to be dismantled. Full stop. So it, like it could be ended today. What would be the repercussion? It would only be positive. It would mean our food security finally could take a breath and we can start moving forward and bringing back the food chain, the food supply, the food land, ag land, ag producers, and get that back in the hands of Americans. D does it money, does it increase cost um, to, to the consumer? It shouldn't. It shouldn't because they're already paying... Um, they're already paying a, a stunning amount at the hands of the Packers, which is the next piece that I wanted to get to. And this is another way that Mike Rounds and I differ. In, a, in an interview he did with KOTA earlier this week, he talked about how worried he was for the Packers, the packing plants, beef packing plants. Um, this, is a, <laughs> this shows where his heart is, and it isn't with the cattle industry and the cattle producers. Packers are making money hand over fist. 
they own the, there's four packing companies and they own about 85% of the market, which means they dictate prices to the cattle producers. Well, they can import foreign beef, like from Brazil or Namibia, and not bid on the higher quality produced beef here in the United States, including in South Dakota. So when Mike Round said he was worried about the cattle packers, the, the beef packing industry, what he was saying is he was just worried about the people who have all the money. He's not worried about the cattle producers. And that's, that's one of the massive frustrations that South Dakotans are feeling right now is nobody in the federal delegation is listening to them. And that's why I believe South Dakotans should vote for me, for Skylar Borglum, for United States Senate. So, but does that go down? I mean, is the implication here or the potential straight up accusation that it's a, a, a there's some financial benefit for the system as it, like the people that are involved in making that call right now? Is there financial I, benefit for rounds for, for the FDA, USDA? Is there... Financial benefit? Would there, there be? I know he's received money from the NC, um, NCBA, National Cattle and Beef Association, and they're the ones who lobby either directly or indirectly on behalf of the packing plants. So I know he's received money and in terms of donations. And and why, why else would you support a packing industry that isn't even located? We have Demcota there, but they're, they're small. They're not part of the big four. Why else would you support that industry that isn't even located in South Dakota when the cattle producers are are just being strangled? Uh, envision, I hope this will help. All right. So, so imagine an hourglass, and mm -hmm. at the top we have all the cattle producers, and we have an abundance of of cattle right now ready to go. The thin part, the neck that's being strangled, is being held by the packing industry. They know they can import cheap beef and still sell it for record prices in terms of boxed beef. On the bottom portion, the big portion, you have the consumers. Consumers are paying what they're going to pay for beef. And right now we're still paying stunning amounts for steak and hamburger. That means we don't even know what's going into our ground beef because it comes out with a stamp of a USDA label on it, meaning mm -hmm. it came through an inspected packing, packing plant. So, so we're already paying records amounts. We're not getting the benefit of the high quality beef. It's only the packers and the people who have their fist on that little neck that are benefiting. So why can't there be a direct to consumer model? As I understand it, the USDA years ago put had laws put in place where you have to go through uh, an inspected system. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that um, that Wyoming passed a law recently allowing for direct to consumer mm -hmm. um, for for beef sales, and and I think that South Dakota now I'm I'm finishing up my term as a state rep, so I won't be able to contribute on this level, but I think South Dakota would be wise to put something like that in place. But doesn't that then take some of the control away from a centralized body? It does, but I don't have a problem with that because one of the things that we're seeing is this highly efficient and an integrated system actually does not benefit the consumer anymore like we thought it would. And it certainly is not benefiting the producer. Let's take hog farmers or poultry, <laughs> for example. Yeah. We don't have we don't particularly have poultry here in South Dakota, not not as much as, as they do in other states. But what happened when corporations vertically integrated they ended up owning chicks from, from start to finish, eggs, eggs to finish product. And that turned the chicken farmers into serfs, right? <laughs> yeah. Because now they don't, they don't own the eggs. They don't own the chickens, the laying hens. They don't, they don't own any of it. They basically just subcontract the work or contract the work for those corporations. Well, recently in Nebraska, they passed a, a law allowing for vertical integration of their uh, pork producers, hog farmers. And what that means is now this is coming, this is making its way through the hog industry, where again, if the corporation owns the hog from piglet to finished product, that means the farmer who's raising it actually has has no, no, no asset there. Hmm. They are simply the, the, the slave man. labor, mm -hmm. right? And and so if in the cattle industry, if we pretend like that isn't going to happen, we're fooling ourselves. 
And, and in South Dakota, we have hog farmers who are starting to see the repercussions of this. They can't get their hogs to market because the, the companies who own the hogs, Piglet to Finished, they're only buying and taking in those and the rest have no nowhere to send their send their hogs. What's the answer? Well, in my book, there's there are several answers that we need to pursue. Number one, we need to renegotiate trade barriers to mandatory country of origin of labeling. And I carried the Senate concurrent resolution on the House side in the South Dakota State Legislature this past session. And I'm very proud to have done that. It was very, very meaningful to the South Dakota stock growers, cattle producers, and people who, who understand the value of, of South Dakota beef and American labeled beef. So that's the first thing. We, we need President Trump to renegotiate those trade barriers to mandatory country of origin labeling. We also need to break up the packing, the beef packing plan monopoly. This is the fact that it's still going on and hasn't been hasn't been taken on tells you the power of this packing plant. And and I will tell or packing plants, and I will tell you initially when I was running for office and no political action money would come my way, because when you take on an, an incumbent, no, no uh, political action committees will give you money. It was very frustrating because you think, well, how am I supposed to get this campaign off the ground and going? Well, it turns out because I haven't taken any money from political action committees and only from everyday people, I get to carry those voices with me to DC. So I am not beholden to the packing, uh, packing plants, the monopolies and all, and all of the, the uh, voices that go with big money. Um, so we need to break up the packing plant. We also need to, we need to eliminate vertical integration and stop that in its tracks. That, that's one of those sounds good on paper and turns out to be disastrous for our food security. We need to put our food security back in the hands of the Americans. And that's going to take a little bit more, more elbow grease and thought, but here's something to really consider. Number one, we would never consider putting our military defense in the hands of the Russians ever. We would never outsource our military defense that way. We would never outsource our cybersecurity to North Korea ever. That would, they attack us every single day. And so it would make no sense to turn that over to them. And the fact that we are through this EB-5 program selling off ag land and, and opening up our farmland to an ag land to China through this EB-5 visa program, a communist country, that just blows my mind. Why would we allow our food security to be threatened in such a way, especially when, as I mentioned earlier, we can look back in history and see what a bad idea this is. Norway used to import all of its food. And so Hitler, when he wanted Norway because of all their, all their coastline, um, all he did was have to cut off food supply to Norway, almost starve that country to death. So we cannot be dependent upon foreign countries for our food because we will lose. Americans, everyday South Dakotans will lose. Are we too far down the road to actually make a difference? I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. If I did, I would not be running for office. Well, I I'm hope so. <laughs> right. I'm running for office because I, I'm a realist and an optimist. And I believe that, yeah, things are hard and you take it on the chin. I certainly have just about every day that I've been on the campaign trail. And, um, and I can tell you, I just keep popping right back up like a, like a weeble wobble and, <laughs> and say, look, it is hard. It's really hard. And sometimes people are really mean. And sometimes, sometimes there's petty stuff that goes on that just blows your mind. And at the end of the day, I'm still here and getting stronger every single day in my message because South Dakotans need someone to bring them hope. Mm -hmm. we, we can no longer, I cannot say this strongly enough, we can no longer afford to say, well, we're a poor state. We've always been a poor state. We're always going to be right. a poor state. Okay, no, no, forget that. Forget that nonsense. We have hardworking, innovative, incredible people in this state. It was founded by ancestors who dug in and said, by golly, I am living in a sod house with a dirt floor and it is better than where I came from and I am going to make a better life for my family. And those are, those are our ancestors. That's the stock we come from. So yes, I say it can get better and it should get better and I believe I'm the right person to do it. Nice. So uh, with that thought, Liberty is paramount. 
Yes. Over health. I think that liberty gives us our health. Okay. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or what? Or give me death. Or give me death. So the, 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 our, our forefathers in this country believed that liberty... You need to include our founding mothers as well. Oh, well of, okay, the founders, absolutely. There's no question there, absolutely. But the history books quote a lot of the these people. So they believed that liberty was paramount. Yes. Over a, like, and and the net, the other option is death. And so the, the, this kind of comes back a little bit to the government reaction to this pandemic, where it's. Health has to be the prior, the, the paramount. Well, that isn't necessarily, according to history, why we were founded. We right. were founded on freedom and liberty. And so, it, and, and this, it all ties back into, you know, we've forgotten our history. We've forgotten where we came from. And so yeah. it's now easy to look, based on what we see in the news, uh, it's easy to look at, um, well, we, we just need to be healthy and safe. Here's At some point there is, and I appreciate um, the position of, of our governor because, you know, the idea that we are really the first person responsible for ourselves, I, I, I think that has to be reinstated in our society. I would agree. I'm reading a fantastic book right now called Fortitude by Representative Dan Crenshaw, and I can't recommend it strongly enough. If really? you haven't read it, pick it up and read it. Listen to it on your run for your audiobook. Um, let me say, let me say this, the reason, the reason I supported and do continue to support social distancing measures that we, that we exercise as individuals, because we mm -hmm. are responsible is because look, let's not invite any more trouble than we actually need to invite. Right. What I also like for people to continue washing their hands after this is done. <laughs> totally. Yes. yes. Please. please. <laughs> I shake a lot of hands. Please continue to wash your hands. Right. People, okay. That, right. that is very self-serving for mm -hmm. me. I would also say um, the reason the reason that I support these self-imposed social distancing measures is because when this first started, we simply didn't have the hospital capacity to care for mm -hmm. people if a if a if a tidal wave of truly sick people came through. What I find surprising is that people die from other causes all the time. And I, for one, for a long-term perspective, am concerned about obese and overweight children. We have going forward for the first time in American history, young people who will not live as long as their parents because of diabetes and diseases associated with obesity and, and being overweight. Nobody is up in arms over that. And far more people are going to die, albeit it'll be slowly and it won't be sexy because it won't be in the newspapers. <laughs> they're going to they're going to die from from poor from poor health habits. So why is nobody up in arms about about how we're taking care of our children or rather not taking care of our children, right? What about, um, what about smoking? We still have people who smoke cigarettes and die of lung cancer. What about people, what about people who die from what's something else? Cancer. We have cancers all over different kinds of cancer problems all over the place. Um, so well, if, if you listen to the news today, we don't anymore. Everyone's <laughs> dying from COVID apparently. <laughs> I don't know. That, that was, sorry, that was rude. I apologize. <laughs> Um, so I think that I think that what we need to do as Americans mm -hmm. is is yes, of course, respect respect COVID nineteen, but also get on and look at how many people die of influenza yeah. and pneumonia every year. Okay, continue washing your hands, continue practicing social hygiene, and if you know you're in a high risk group, by all means, by yeah. all means, self isolate and mm -hmm. quarantine. But for those of us who need to get out and, and continue carrying on, let's not forget that how we pay for first responders and and policemen and women, um, EMT, firefighters is through our taxes. Yeah. So if we want them there, then we need to continue on with our economy. Uh, what do you say to the sentiment of, uh, oh, you just uh, you're you're whole, you're you're comparing someone's life with money? 
when you make claims like that. That's a tired argument, isn't it? Well, I... If we really want, if we felt that way about everything, about every death, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't let people drive. Okay. (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah. Honestly. Well, and and, and you you mentioned like diabetes and some health implications that we have in our country. Does that kind of point back to a a centralized food system? I think so, because we we have people eating processed food to the point where... There's even questions about, this blew my mind, people who eat boxed foods and processed foods mm. don't actually chew food anymore. And so what? You're, yeah, you're talking about your, your jaw muscles yeah. and your, your teeth. There's no use for them because if you eat processed food, it's effectively all mush. <laughs> Think about it. If you're not that's eating terrible. raw vegetables or, yeah. or tearing into a steak, mm-hmm. if, if that's your deal, which I do on occasion, you don't have any reason to have molars or incisors because all you're doing is gumming mush. <laughs> you didn't think about that one, did you? No, but that's fascinating. Oh man. Uh, term limits. What are your thoughts on term limits? I'm for them. Uh, I, across uh, the board. Well, I think that there's a diff- couple of different ways you can do it. I agreed with, with change and turnover there's, there's one problem with term limits, and it's, it's the double-edged sword of the, the long-standing statesmen or stateswomen. And that is those people have incredible institutional knowledge and know, know the ins and outs of the system. Now, you can use that power for good, or you can use that power for evil. We know that. But one of the, one of the simple forms of term limits that I think would be effective is, what if we cut it off at 70, right? And oh, just, just say, age them out? Yeah, well, there's yes, we have that for for other government offices. And but that's ageist. You can't do that. That mean that means you're 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 claiming that, that in the military. <laughs> don't we do that? And as for federal employees, <laughs> retirement. We do. You're right. <laughs> that's so a good if, point. <clears throat> okay, so so we could do it that way. Mm-hmm. I signed a I signed a term limit pledge, and I said that I would do two terms and no more if I. If I get there and I can't get my work done. Well, that's done 12 in, years. My goodness. If I can't get my work mm-hmm. done in 12 years, I should be gone anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have term limits for governors and, and the president and the president. So so, so you, you brought up a, a thing that I always hear the point that uh, institutional knowledge, history mm-hmm. of what happened. Um, there are a almost an untold number of career staffers that exist in Congress and at every state level. Uh, they have that history. And and you still have the parliamentarian who comes in and they're the ones that tell you if you can do what you're doing. So that already exists. So I, I'm, I wonder how that argument still holds water. It doesn't necessarily. I'm just speaking from experience mm-hmm. when I worked in the, when I was in the state legislature, the, I found the people that I went to when I was, was working my bills through, through the system to, to get work done there. You know, the people that I went to had been in office for a long time. They, they knew how it worked and, and how to move things forward. That doesn't mean it's the only way. It just, those are the people that I went to because they had the knowledge. And, um, mm-hmm. and like I said, you can use it for good or for evil, meaning yeah. you can stall somebody out and, and um, kill their work, or you can help them get it through depending. So two, yeah. two questions. And then I, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I really appreciate your, your time. Um, is the federal government too big? And yes. should federal politicians be allowed to make that a career? Well, I do believe the federal government is is enormous. It's been, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but when you look at the growth of, of our population and compare it to the growth of the federal government, I think that that's a that should be a fair metric. And the federal government has vastly exceeded the growth of our population in terms of, and you could use maybe terms of employment numbers or money spent, but either way it's, it's, um, it's substantial. And then um, I don't, I personally do not believe that we should have people feeding 
lifelong at the political trough. Should, should, should that be, because I know that falls in term limits a little bit, should it be a, uh, a part-time gig to, to be a federal politician? So that, that you pose an interesting question. There was a senator, I believe, out of Oklahoma, and he recently passed away. He was a doctor, and he was, he was pretty far right. And he believed in term limits. And so he had self-imposed term limits. Um, he was in Congress for, I think, six years. And then when he, when he finished out the number of years he said he was going to run, then that was it. He didn't run again. And then he ran for Senate. And I think he said he'd only serve two terms and be done. And partway through, because he believed in being a citizen legislator, he, he had continued to work as a physician. I think he was a gynecologist. And so he would work in DC doing his senatorial work and during the week and then go home and schedule meetings with, with patients on the weekends. Well, the Senate decided he wasn't allowed to do that. And so they cut his ability to continue practicing his business out from under him. And I believe his point was to say, we were never intended to be full-time senators and representatives. We were intended to be professionals who came in, used our expertise, got work done, and then went home to our regular jobs. And I, he was, he was smacked down by the Senate. So somewhere along the line, they decided that they should get to be full-time and lifelong. And I don't agree with that. And that's one of the reasons I am very, very different from Mr. Rounds. I am an engineer. I am well-trained as, as we discussed in the beginning of this episode in a variety of disciplines to hold jobs and, and careers in a number of, a number of fields. So I don't have to do this for a living. This is my way of saying thank you to South Dakota. South Dakota, you've been very, very good to me. I'd love to use the best of my skills to go forward and, and accomplish the, the goals you have as a state and then be done and go on and do something else. But I, I believe we should be sending a variety of different disciplines to DC and, and not just somebody who's been in politics since 1991 before Al Gore invented the internet, right? Yeah, I think that's how it went. <laughs> All right. Where can people find out more about you? Well, the number one place that's the easiest is on my Facebook page for my Senate account. Now, in um, in the the world of politics as it is, you have to have different pages for different mm -hmm. positions. So I have my personal page, so not that one. I have my state rep page, not that one. I have my Borglum for U.S. Senate, and that's the page to go to. I post live videos almost every single night. I try to keep everybody updated on what I'm doing and where I'm going. Obviously, the past few weeks, probably, what, five weeks now, there hasn't been a lot on, on where I'm at because I've been self-quarantining. But, but please go there. And every Thursday night, I do Borglum Answers South Dakota. And that means people can write in their questions in the comment bars. It's live. It's unedited. I read the question, and then I answer it. And I do that because I believe citizens should get to know who we are as human beings and where we stand without a scripted response. Mm -hmm. So, so that's yeah. what I would, that's what I would suggest. That, that, that's why I love that you're on here because that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's Wonderful. great. Um, <clears throat> any last, uh, any last words? <laughs> um, that sounds so final. <laughs> I know. Uh, but well, okay. So once this the thing has potentially thinned out this uh, pandemic we have um do come to the eastern part of the state we would love to have you in studio that would be Wonderful. fantastic and you I are will. more than welcome anytime thank you craig absolutely the last, the last thing i'll ask and it and it's a finishing up off of the request mm -hmm. um the, that we had just spoken of getting to know your your candidates I have been asking for a live debate with my opponent, Mike Rounds, for, for a couple of weeks now. And why do I believe this matters? Because you, as South Dakota, should get to see us stand up toe-to-toe -to -toe and answering the hard questions. And these are hard questions. These are difficult questions. We should not be sitting in the comfort of our own home when South Dakotans don't get, to, don't get the luxury of sitting in their homes trying to figure this stuff out. We know a lot of our colleagues who've been out in the trenches every day trying to get their work done. So start asking Mr. Rounds directly, will you debate Skylar Borglum? 
live. There's no reason not to. He was on a live interview with KOTA earlier this week. So we can do it six feet apart. I don't have any issue with that. But South Dakotans deserve to hear our answers side by side and do a comparison. If we can do it in the peanut butter aisle at Safeway, we should be able to do it for somebody we're hiring for the next six years. I, I would agree. And I will, uh, I'll throw that at him because he's coming on next Friday. That's um, exciting. Good. So, um, but the other side of that is you've had a great opportunity. I, I've learned a lot about where you're at and what you're thinking. Um, and hopefully people that listen to this will will do the same. And then you know, let's listen next week to Senator Round's uh, interview as well. Because I, I, um, I have no scripted questions. We kind of go where it's at. And I, I have some questions for him. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for this. So. Thank you very much, uh, Skylar Borglum for U.S. Senate 2020, or Borglum for U.S. Senate 2020 on Facebook. Uh, on the interweb, if you go to the website, it's borglumforsenate.rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can make donations, I guess I should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you need money? <laughs> so, but that's where someone would go to help support you, correct? Yes. yes Borglumforsenate.rocks. Yes, please. Excellent. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Stay healthy. Um, Thank you, Craig. It'll be fun. June 2nd is the primary. Um, do we know who the Democratic challenger is? Yes. Yes. He is also a former state legislator, Dan Allers, out okay. of Del Rapids. So, so you, you, you get the primary. Uh, can you beat him? Oh, it'll be a heck of a race. Yeah. He's a, he's a respectable candidate. Yes. Excellent. So, I am not someone who counts her chickens before they hatch. So. Well, I know, but you must presume you, you may have a chance. I, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, have a wonderful uh, weekend, I guess. It's Friday. Oh, it's May Day. Happy May Day. Good job. Hopefully there's yes. some flowers blooming. <laughs> yes. Thanks a lot. Have Thanks. a great day. Thanks, Craig. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That was Skylar Borglum from Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, she is a uh, Republican running for our uh, for, for the opportunity to be elected to the U.S. Senate in uh, in November. Um, she is uh, running in the primary against Senator Rounds. He is going to come on uh, May eighth, I believe. This Friday, a week from today. Today's May first. Um, and we we appreciate him coming on too. I think it's great to get these uh these these little bit longer form conversations out there so we can really get an idea of who these people are and uh and what they do uh and why why we should send them to Washington. So, thanks a lot Skylar for coming on. It was great to meet you and uh get a chance to see who you are and uh kind of what you're about. So, uh, as we always say here in the interview, um do your own research uh, and then and then go vote because your voice matters, especially in South Dakota. So I'm Craig Weinberg. This is the interview podcast on the Why Millbank Podcast Network, whymillbank.com, live from or record recorded, recorded in studio in Millbank, South Dakota. If you have a story you want to tell, you want to get on here and talk about some things, you certainly are welcome to. Whymillblank at gmail.com is the is the email. Send a message. We'll get you on the schedule. Thanks a lot. Have a wonderful day. Stay healthy, everyone. Um, and check on your neighbors. Thanks a lot.